0: Have you ever been reading in the New Testament and seen the title Son of Man pop up over and over and wondered, what exactly is that supposed to mean? It's used over 80 times in the New Testament, and almost every time is by Jesus referring to himself. So there's got to be something significant about it. And that's what we're going to be looking into today. Welcome to Battle Ready Saints. I'm Dave, and today we're going to be looking at how Jesus uses the title Son of Man to communicate his deity. Part of being battle ready is knowing why you believe what you believe. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we should always be ready to give a defense to anybody who asks for the reason for the hope that lies within us. That's where we get the area of apologetics, which does not mean apologizing. It's, uh, it comes from a Greek term and refers to defending the faith. So if you recall from the episode that I did with Mark about Christian essentials, the deity of Christ is a pillar of Christian doctrine. So it's, it's foundational to a Christian worldview. And once you get outside of evangelical circles, it's one of the first areas that gets challenged. And or sometimes it's just genuinely misunderstood. So it's really important that we're able to support that with Scripture. There are lots of places we could go in Scripture to support the deity of Christ, but today we're going to be looking at what I think is one of the most powerful instances of Jesus saying who he is. We're going to do this by looking at an exchange that Jesus has with the high priest when he's standing before the council being accused of all kinds of things shortly after he was betrayed. So this, we see this exchange in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so three out of four of the Gospels. So three out of four of the Gospels all record the same thing, there's got to be something significant there. John doesn't have this exchange between Jesus and the high priest because John follows Peter, who is outside of the council when that's going on. Um, So, like I said, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be looking in Matthew. And so, let's just read Matthew 26, verses 62 through 66. And that says, starting verse 62, and the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy, what further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy, what is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Now that's a pretty interesting exchange, especially given that a lot of the common challenges to the deity of Jesus is that he was just claiming to be a political figure or a prophet. But that reaction by the high priest tearing his robes and saying that he's uttered blasphemy and then then sentencing him to death, that doesn't make sense if he was just claiming to be the Messiah as a political figure. Um, There's nothing blasphemous about even wrongly claiming the status of a politician. Uh, because remember, blasphemy means specifically um, insulting God or, or robbing God of some glory that was, that's due to him. And that, just claiming to be a political figure, even if they didn't believe that he was that political figure, it wouldn't do that. It's the same thing with if he was just a prophet calling people to worship God. That reaction by the high priest doesn't make sense because there's nothing blasphemous about that. So what's really going on here? Well, what's happening, and what the high priest recognized, was Jesus was quoting from Daniel chapter 7. So let's go to Daniel chapter 7 and read the passage that Jesus was referring to. So in Daniel 7, he, Daniel's describing this vision that he's having of the throne room of God. And he starts out by describing the Ancient of Days who's seated on his throne and this mass of people that are all before him and these books are being opened up. And then in verses 13 and 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So we see that Jesus is directly quoting this passage from Daniel 7. In, you know, in Matthew, we have Jesus saying, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Daniel seven thirteen says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him so what's the big deal about quoting that passage the big deal is in the title son of man and the description coming on the clouds so we're going to look at those two aspects of this so first let's look at the son of man As I said in the beginning, that title is used over 80 times in the New Testament, and almost every time is Jesus referring to himself as the son of man. So this isn't the only place in scripture that we see son of man. It's also in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is referred to as son of man, and that's, that's because Ezekiel is a human, and that's the way that it's communicated. So some people will point to that and say, see, it was used in Ezekiel for Ezekiel to, to communicate that he was a human. And so that's what Jesus is doing when he calls himself the Son of Man. He's just saying that he's a human. And it is true that that's one of the things that the title does. Son of Man does communicate the humanness of Jesus. So that's that's one reason that Jesus would use it, to say that he is fully human. That's not the only thing that it does. And Jesus doesn't say that he's a son of man, but that he is the son of man. And we see here that he's directly referencing the son of man figure in Daniel 7. So the, the coming on the clouds is what we're going to look at next, because that's really the key here. So what does coming on the clouds mean? Coming on the clouds or being a cloud rider is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, and it's always used to describe God. For instance, Psalm 104 says that God makes the clouds his chariot, or Isaiah 19:1 says the Lord rides on a swift cloud. There are other passages as well, but they all point to God. This is the only place in scripture that we see the ancient of days seated on his throne and then coming on the clouds being used to describe this other figure, this son of man figure. And so that is a clue that this other figure is part of the godhead. So w- let's look at where the Title cloud rider comes from it actually comes from a title that the surrounding nations of ancient Israel would use for Baal and it was used to communicate that Baal was the main god of their religion We see this in ancient Ugaritic texts, which were found to the north of ancient Israel in that kingdom um, And so the Old Testament writer, writers what they would do is they would take that title cloud rider And they would take it away from Baal and give it to Yahweh And they would do this for a couple of reasons. One was to communicate that Yahweh was the one true God and and that it was not Baal. You know, almost like they were were saying, hey, if anyone's going to be riding clouds around here, it's not Baal, it's Yahweh. So they were insulting Baal by taking his title away from him. And they were communicating that God was the one true God, that Yahweh was the one true God. So that's something that, that everyone of the day would have understood, that cloud rider denotes deity. <clears throat> so Daniel was using that term to explain that this figure that he saw was looked like a human, one like a son of man, but was part of the Godhead coming on the clouds. It's also interesting to note that in verse 14 that we read in Daniel 7, it says that this, this figure is, once he's presented before the Ancient of Days, he's given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and the, and the kingdom is everlasting. So Isaiah talks about how God does not share his glory with anyone. So the fact that this Son of Man figure is given glory by the Ancient of Days is another clue that he is part of the Godhead. And in John... I mentioned that the Gospel of John doesn't have the exchange between Jesus and the high priest, but shortly after that would have taken place, towards the end of chapter 18 of John, we see Jesus talking with Pilate, and Pilate asks Jesus if he is a king, and Jesus says that he is, but that his kingdom isn't of this world. So even in John, we see Jesus referencing Daniel 7 and the kingdom that he's going to be given. So, when we put all this together, it changes the way that we look at the title, The Son of Man, that Jesus applies to himself. And once we understand the biblical and cultural and historical background, we have this really powerful instance of Jesus describing exactly who he is, and the reaction of the high priest now makes sense, because the high priest would have understood all of this context. And so this reaction of uttering blasphemy, deserving of death, now makes a lot more sense. So why should people believe the claims of Jesus? What could God do that would vindicate these, these amazing claims that Jesus is making about himself? That's where the resurrection comes in. And that is, that's another uh, essential doctrine of, Christian, of the Christian faith. So maybe I can do another video like this on that topic. But hopefully this today has helped give you a clearer picture of who Jesus is and who he claimed to be. As I said, there's lots of other places in scripture that we can go to to show the deity of Christ, and this is just another way that we can show people the truth. I'm sure there's more that could be said on the topic. Um, If you're interested in reading further, the first place that I read about the historical context of the title Son of Man was in a book called The Unseen Realm. Uh, One of the chapters in that book goes into this in a lot more detail. It it goes into the, the scholarly work a lot more, so if that's something you're interested in, I'll put a link to that in the description. But remember, if you have questions, there are answers. So go out and find them. And remember to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. We'll see you next time.